my case and every case I've ever uh, experienced with people is it's a story of deliverance. They got desperate in their circumstances. They didn't know what to do, and they cried out. Look at the miracles that Jesus performed. Those were desperate, hopeless people. Couldn't blind from light, you know, issue of blood, uh, lame you know, for 38 years. I mean, dead. <laughs> I mean, they were hopeless. They were in hopeless, desperate situations. And when people get to that point, I think that's when we can step in with the gospel and share our message of hope yeah. and deliverance. Hi, and welcome to this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler. Pleasure, friend, to have you stop by. I'm excited about our show today. Recently, I was at a little restaurant out in Fayette County, and I ran into a longtime friend I haven't seen in a while. He's actually been on this program, but it's been a number of years. Actually, it was in before we actually moved to the studio we're located at now. It's been over 16, 17 years ago. But Clint Green, it's good to have you on Mid-South Viewpoint. Well, Byron, thank you for having me this morning. It's a pleasure <laughs> to be with you. And uh, uh, this opportunity to talk about the ministry and about what the Lord is doing, you know, among people, particularly among Native American people. And uh, excited to have this opportunity. Well, I'm excited about it. Again, you are the director of Native American Indigenous Ministry. That's a mouthful, Clint. I'm surprised <laughs> I could say all of that. <laughs> but <laughs> I didn't want to make it easy for people to, you know. <laughs> So, once you get it, you got it. Once you get it, you got it. Well, specifically, what is the Native American Indigenous Ministry? Well, our mission statement is working to see Native people reaching Native people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our mission. Our focus is on, obviously, the Native American community, because I am a Native American. I'm a full-blooded Native American, and uh, there's a 3% conversion rate to Christianity among our people. So I'm one of the 3%, you might say. But uh, And that's it's kind of tragic, because there's been 500 years of evangelism in this country. Uh, every country that came here, the Dutch, the English, the Spanish, and the French, you know, they all were Christian nations, quote, Christian nations, and they brought their brand of Christianity with them. They built their churches, sent out the missionaries. The United States, of course, founded on godly principles, uh, followed in those footsteps. And after 500 years, uh, there's a 3% conversion rate. And uh, what's tragic about that is the number of people we're talking about here. A number of years ago, Stanford University Research Center did a study, and they determined in 1492 there were approximately 112 million Native American people. Well, right that number again. 112 million. 112 million. Look, right now, there's approximately 7 million. Oh, my. 7 million. And so when you look at those numbers, uh, neither one are staggering. But if you have 500 years of the gospel being presented, to this number of people, you would think that there would be a larger population of, yes. of Christians. But, you know, there are many reasons for that. We're not going to get into all that today. There are a number of reasons for that. But the point is that, uh, you know, North America was a stronghold of satanic power. There's no question about that. And, uh, you know, Satan is in the stronghold business, and uh, not only in nations, but also in individuals. And uh, so the mission of my ministry is to attack those strongholds. Yes. I tell you what, Clint, before we continue on, I want to know more about your backstory. We've shared this in the past, but it's been a while. Tell a little bit more about uh, your story. What member of the indigenous people group are you connected specifically? What was family life like growing up for you? And when did you first hear the gospel and respond to the message of the gospel? Well, that's an interesting story, and I won't go into all the details of it. But basically, uh, my parents were born and raised on a, what we call reserve in Canada. We don't have reservations in Canada. They're called reserves because they're not, they're not federally owned by the Canadian government. They're treaty land is what they are. 
so you won't find them on a map of Canada. But uh, that's where they were born and raised. And uh, my father moved to Niagara Falls, New York when I was a, a young boy to work. And uh, that's where I basically grew up. I did not go to church as a young boy. I did not have a Bible. My mother was a Christian. Uh, her dad, uh, my grandfather, was an Anglican minister on that reserve. My dad was your basic good man. Worked every day. Uh, didn't drink, didn't smoke. You know, was devoted to his family. And uh, you know, he was a role model for me as, as a, a good man, if you will. And, you know, God often, I, my former pastor used to say, oh, God's worst enemy is the good man, you know. So, uh, but anyway, uh, that's how I saw myself. I didn't have any need for religion or anything like that because I just saw that people did their religious stuff, including my own people, and it, the rest of the week they're just like everybody else. So. Now, are there those indigenous people group that do or don't practice their tradition of native religion? I mean, is that something that you were taught growing up in your home? Yes, I was because I had uh, close family members who were devoted to what we call the old way, traditional native belief. The only common ground between traditional native belief, universal, and Christianity is a belief in the supernatural. That's it. Okay. There's no heaven or hell. There's no, well, there's no Genesis 1-1. We all have our own creation stories, you know, life after death beliefs. And so belief in the supernatural is the only thing that is in common. So you have two cultures that are diametrically opposed to each other. Yeah. Uh, and so growing up, you know, I saw that among family members who were devoted to that and did all the ceremonies and rituals they were supposed to do. Um, but, you know, again, they were just like everybody else the rest of the time, so it didn't have an impact on me. But I learned the stories and I learned the beliefs and that sort of thing. And my parents didn't buy into that at all. Of course, my mother didn't, you know, being a Christian, having a, a minister father, you know, she didn't, they didn't buy into any of that, all that. But it, it's an influence. It influences people because all Native people, you're going to find most of them have family and relatives that are devoted to the old way. And so, can, can it cause some division among the, the people group itself? Very much so. When I accepted Christ as a, uh, at the University of Memphis, I was at the University of Memphis, and when I accepted Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, and I went back to my traditional family members and told them that, uh, I thought they'd be excited because they helped raise me. They knew what kind of kid I was, what kind of person I was. Instead, they looked at me and said, you know, uh, you've turned your back on us. You know, you, we're, we're done with you. And uh, because I was the next generation to carry on the traditional ways, and now I'm now I'm out. You know, it's no different than, you know, a Muslim becomes a Christian, right. a Hindu becomes a Christian, a, a Jewish person becomes a Christian. You know, you've walked away from a part of the society that is crucial, mm -hmm. which is religion. Right. So that was my first response, I guess, what what Christ meant, said if, if they hated me, they're going to hate you, you know. Yeah. So, right. so that was my first thing. And as a new Christian, that was kind of hard to deal with at first. Well, yeah. I can't imagine. Yeah. Well, what about the circumstances in your life leading up to the creation or the start of the ministry that you're involved in? Well, what happened was um, when I became a Christian, I asked God for a platform, you know, to spread the gospel. I wanted to reach people, you know, my own people. And so I went through a process of, of going and doing evangelistic work and going among different places. But then uh, in 2008, I was contacted by a group of people in New Mexico, uh, Western Baptist Association. They had taken over a boarding school. It was, had been run by a, a couple that were Assembly of God people. And uh, oh no, they were Christian church is what they were. They were Christian church. And they passed away. So the New Mexico Convention took it over. Mm -hmm. And uh, they had it for a door, basically. Now, were those pastors indigenous? No, members? they weren't. They were from out the outside. They were, they were from the outside. Okay. And things, circumstances happened, and they wound up leaving. So they approached me, and, and because I've been working out 
there some and approached and, and asked me if my ministry would be interested in helping them develop that property and develop that ministry as a Baptist church. And so I said, fine. So I entered into a, a lease agreement on that property. Uh, here we are six years later, and it's up and going. It's a, it's a prosperous church, uh, still under the association. But I saw no need to have that lease arrangement anymore, so I terminated that lease. So I'm now ready to move on to the next phase. But what I saw there was that it was going to take indigenous people to reach indigenous people. The man that's there now is a Navajo man. He was born and raised there. His parents are Christians. They had a a ranch there. And uh, he went to Bible school in Denver and came back looking to serve. He interviewed for our position, and uh, he became our pastor. He's done a phenomenal job because, unlike the people that came from the outside, I'm not against people coming, you know, and serving at yes, all. Right. Um, but he had uh, a knowledge of the people and their ways and what they were facing and what they were dealing with and the living circumstances. Oftentimes, the living circumstances when people go to a mission field is a real challenge. Yes. For him, it wasn't a challenge because that's what he grew up with. You know? <laughs> and Clint, you mentioned the reserve in Canada where your family, you know, lived. Uh, in, in the United States, I guess, as you mentioned, they refer to it as a reservation. Because it's federally owned land. Exactly. So are most of the people whom you minister, are they living on a reservation or outside a reservation? It's a combination of both, because right now, uh, somewhere in the neighborhood, about 20% of us Native American people, 7 million, live on reservations, 20%. The other 80% either are like me, live uh, away from the reservation or live around the reservation. You know, the cities, uh, communities just outside the reservation still have family on that reservation. So they're still connected. And there are Native churches there you know, as a result of that in communities like, well, we'll say Albuquerque. Or, right, right. Can you describe maybe for our listeners who maybe have never been to a reservation, what life is like? And I guess it could vary in different parts of uh, the country or particular reservations. Yeah, and a lot of it has to do with the development of the country. Now, my people, you know, basically our reservations are in New York State. And because the country, it was in its infancy, it was just beginning to become a, a nation, they had to deal more equitably, I guess, with my people, my ancestors, the six tribes of the Iroquois Confederacy is what it was. So they were allied with the British and then they came in. And so there was a much more uh, cooperative arrangement of between the two nations, if you will. But as the country grew and began to expand to the West, it grew in strength militarily, politically. They weren't as politically oriented to be um, in, a, in a bargaining position. It's more our way or no way, you know. And so we had the Indian Wars went on for 69 years, 1811 to 1880, in this expansion West. And as the country grew, then, of course, the, the terms of the agreements were more in favor of the United States than they were in the native people. And so conditions in the western part of the United States, west of the Mississippi, are far different than they are east of the Mississippi because of this development process. And so when you go to reservations beyond uh, the Mississippi, uh, they vary, but none of them are really very welcoming, I guess, right. places you'd really want to be, I right, guess. Right. Because I'm pointing out, I don't want to get political at all, but no. but basically what you're looking at is you're looking at socialism. You're looking at government-controlled land. As a result of that, unemployment rates are high, can range anywhere from 50% to 90%, you know, on any given reservation. The best jobs are government-oriented jobs, you know, school system, medical system, political system, uh, whatever. The other jobs are just 
minimum wage type of jobs, you know, and, and no industry to speak of because the land is owned by the federal government and, you know, big companies aren't going to spend a lot of money on land they can't control or can't own. And so it's it's a different environment. But in the midst of this environment, you know, Gaza raised up his church, his 3%. And we as believers, we know that this world that we're living in, you know, is just temporary. Yes. No matter what our conditions are, living conditions are from the worst to the best, it's all going to pass away. And eternity is what we need to be focused on. And even though our conditions may not improve for us physically, we can have peace and joy in the midst of those circumstances. Oh, Clint, I love that. That's so true. So what are some of the challenges as you look at getting indigenous people, reaching indigenous people, raising up pastors is part of your ministry, trying to help train them? I'm assuming that's really part. And you talked about some exciting new things, too, that are are coming your way. Well, the biggest challenge, I think one of the biggest challenges is people serving. Statistically, they say that uh, 80% of the graduates of Bible schools and seminaries, 80% serve in urban areas. In other words, they serve in places like Memphis, Tennessee, or, you know, Jackson, Mississippi, or Nashville, or, or someplace like that. They serve in urban areas. Of the ones that serve outside of the urban areas among Native peoples, especially 70% have no formal Bible training. Yeah. God has raised them up yeah, through their circumstances, through speaking to their hearts like he did my heart, who was not seeking God. He, he sought me, and, and a miraculous salvation occurred. That's their story. That's their testimony. Yeah. A story of deliverance. And now they're serving. They're reaching the people. But they have very little Bible training, uh, formal Bible training. And so for a pastor to be a strong shepherd, I believe the more knowledge he has of God's word and God's work and how to do God's work, the better equipped he's going to be to serve his people. Yeah. Now, would typically a pastor pastoring one of these churches, would they be a bivocational pastor having to have another job in addition to pastoring? Uh, Yes. And that's typically the case that you find because these congregations, because they're so small and very few are self-supporting. We're very fortunate in that the pastor that we have there, one of the things I told that assembly of uh, other members of the association, the other pastors, when we made this arrangement, was I said, you know, you guys have had four pastors in 12 years. The only way I believe this is going to succeed if we have a full-time Navajo pastor here. And they were somewhat reluctant to buy into that, you know, because of the circumstances. And I said, well, I believe that that's, God can advance his work much stronger, much faster, if that's the case. I'm not saying he's not working in these other churches, but I believe that we can put it on the fast track if we have that. And so they said, well, we'll see. So fortunately, my ministry and other churches have come alongside, and we've been able to make our pastor there a full-time pastor. He has a wife and four small children, and we're able to support him financially and go out there and do mission trips and help him that way. So because he's been a a full-time pastor since the very beginning, he's not divided, you know, between working and taking care of his family right. and the ministry, he can focus on the ministry and his family. And yeah. uh, and we've seen it do tremendous things. And wow. uh, it's incredible what, what he's accomplished in six years. The first Sunday I went, his first Sunday, there were six of us there, his mother and father, three people from the community and myself. We, we were the congregation. Yeah. <laughs> right now he's running 40 plus people, you know, every Sunday. Oh, that's in beautiful. fact, we're going to embark on a new building out there, and uh, next big project. <laughs> oh, I love that. It's a large... Oh, it's beautiful. But see, uh, I'm, not dis- I'm not discredited or in, in taking away from, you know, bivocational uh, men and that serve. But if you're not divided with, with all that, you can focus more on the people. Well, didn't that also demonstrate the body of Christ seeing the importance of the gospel and the need to reach their people 
and outside the reservation, outside indigenous ministry, I mean, we're so involved with our lifestyles and, you know, our own suburban neighborhoods and how we live. But knowing that the greatest message for mankind is the gospel Mm -hmm. and what sacrifices are we willing to make? You know, we look at the example of the church at uh, Philippi. Uh, You know, Paul commended them. They were very, they were a very poor church in my understanding. And yet uh, they gave out of what they had for the gospel, to advance the gospel. Right. Right, and and you know that, and that's the value of having this full-time uh, native pastor is that the circumstances he's living in are his normal. Yes, he's not put off by the circumstances at all. This is this is all he's ever known, basically, other than the time he spent in Denver, you know, in seminary. Right. But but this was his life growing up, and his family, his parents dealt with that life, you know, and they, everybody he knew dealt with that life. So he's not distracted in any way by that. He can focus on the ministry. And uh, and bringing people to Christ and, and mentoring and discipling them, he can do all that. Clint, how is the seed of the gospel best planted among these people groups, and how receptive are the people to the gospel? Well, I think um, the seed, of course, is, is the Word of God. Yes. I mean, it's, it's Him. And, and the common story that I have, I love people's testimonies. And when I ask people to, to share their testimony with me, my case and every case I've ever uh, experienced with people is, it's a story of deliverance. They got desperate in their circumstances. They didn't know what to do. And they cried out, look at the miracles that Jesus performed. Those were desperate, hopeless people. Couldn't, blind from life, you know, issue of blood. Uh, lame you know, for 38 years. I mean, dead. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. they were hopeless. They were in hopeless, <laughs> yeah. desperate situations. Mm-hmm. And when people get to that point, I think that's when we can step in with the gospel and share our message of hope yeah. and deliverance. Yeah. Not necessarily from their circumstances, but from the bondage that they're living under, yeah. the hopelessness that they're living under. Yeah, I think that's so true because of our prideful nature of being sinful. We we try to d- deny that and find ways we can, oh, we just got to have a, a self-improvement or something that we can do ourselves. But as you and I both know, there's no amount of effort that we could do to attain God's favor or salvation for ourselves. It's strictly on what Christ did on the cross for us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and I believe that's why desperation is the key, because that self-pride, you know, we, we always want to think that we can take care of ourselves, you yeah. know, or it's not going to happen to me. Yeah. And uh, once we get past that, once, once we've exhausted all the resources that we think we have, and that's where I got to in my life. You know, I was a college student. Life looked good, for, you know, from the world standpoint. I had everything going for me. But there was an emptiness and a, and a turmoil within me that was I was trying to satisfy with worldly things. Yes. And they weren't working. Right. Uh, they were just temporary. And once I got to the end of that, now I needed something beyond that. And that's, that's when God can step in. What plan or strategy does your ministry have to plant more churches, you know, there? Mm-hmm. Well, like I say, we try to come alongside existing churches and uh, find out from them what they need. And, uh, and what would be some of the needs typically that you're finding these churches well, need? Well, you know, they're facing issues like uh, economic poverty. They're facing uh, drug and alcohol abuse. They're facing suicide. Uh, they're, they're facing... Uh, well, those, are pretty, those two things are pretty high among indigenous people, right? Over and above the national averages. Uh, because of the circumstances of their of their living conditions, but they have no hope of the future. There's no there's there's no light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak. Now that's the difference between east of the Mississippi and west. Of the See, I grew up in a world that was open to prosperity. I mean, if you wanted it, there were plenty of jobs, big cities, uh, plenty of opportunities. My dad, you know, worked his entire life, you know, provided for his family. When you get out in some of these rural areas, uh, they don't have that. 
they don't have those uh, places to go. Right. You know, so, so what value is education? What value is hard work or ambition? Because there's no place to go with it. And yep. uh, so when, when we come into these churches, uh, they're dealing with us on a day-to-day basis. So if we can help them with things like uh, suicide prevention, and we can do seminars and training. Uh, we can do a discipleship programs, you know, to help them disciple other people in their in their congregation. We can do drug and alcohol abuse seminars to, to help them be equipped to deal with these issues biblically. Uh, suicide prevention, uh, you know, loss of a loved one, you know, grief. How do you deal with grief? Uh, I just went to a funeral, you know, yesterday of a, of a, a couple that uh, very fine Christian people. And, and the message was a message of hope because she had been a Christian, you know, and, and she died and now she's gone home. But yeah. not everybody has that. Yes. Not when, when this loved one is gone, it's tough enough when you know they're Christians and they're gone. Yes. But if they don't have that, if you don't have that, then well, what do you do with that? And, oh, my. And so, so we have to try to help these people that are shepherding these flocks to, to be better equipped. How often do you travel? And you, this is primarily in Arizona that you go? Well, that, what happened was I was charged with helping develop that ministry. So I feel like we've done that, okay? That ministry is up and going now, going into the sixth year. It's, it's, uh, it's moving ahead. Um, now I can expand and, and take what we learned there. I've invested about 15 years there in developing that. And uh, so now we can take what we learned there and take it to other other congregations, other native congregations. So that's the purpose of the new website is to get that message out that we're available to reach other congregations that need our help. Yeah. And I've already, you know, I've done that to some degree already over the years. You know, I've been to churches up in the in the Minnesota and Wisconsin and you know in in Oklahoma and Texas and other places. So really this ministry is is not just limited to one particular geographical location. I mean you're you're traveling across the United States. Right, exactly. And and that's what I want to accomplish through this uh through this website, through this broadcast is to is to plant a seed in people's hearts that they can be involved. They can get uh, they can get involved. They don't have to travel, you know, overseas, spend thousands of dollars to go someplace. There's a huge mission field right here in America when 97 percent of our people have not accepted Christ as Lord and Savior. That's yes. a big mission field. You know, Clint, one of my first exposures to uh, doing ministry or missions when I was a new believer in Jesus Christ as a teenager, our church took a, a trip. They called a mission trip for two weeks. And we went to the Navajo Indian Reservation in Mm -hmm. Arizona. And I remember we camped out in tents (laughs) Mm -hmm. there. And there was a lady that was a representative of her people that was very gracious to us and hosted us on her property. And uh, we would go out from there. And uh, this was on the Navajo Indian Reservation Mm -hmm. and drive the vans out into these little you know, remote areas, and there would be a hogan, which is the house that the, the Navajo call they live in, mm-hmm. and and they would put let their kids come out, and they would get on the bus, and we would drive back to the camp area and have vacation Bible school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was just a, a t- I was sixteen years old, but I, I never will forget that. That was the impression of that of meeting these precious people and uh, just having interaction with them fellowshipping with them, you know, being seeing the beauty of the land that they lived on, but also seeing the harsh circumstances, as you mentioned, the, the economic and social conditions that they, they faced. And, uh, and I, I remember, as you say, you know, we would see oftentimes a lot of the men, because of the heavy alcoholism, you know, would be just passed out on the side of the road, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it really broke my heart. It really did. And so, I think it's good for us believers, like you said, to look around us 
there are needs to go. The, the gospel needs to be taken to every corner of the, of the globe and, uh, and proclaimed. But we don't want to forget our Jerusalem, you know, our Samaria, if you will, which is right here in our home base, to take the good news of Jesus Christ. That's right. Because when you look at any addiction of any kind or any, any behavior that's not godly, uh, that's merely a symptom of a deeper problem. There's something going on there because that's led these people into this lifestyle. Yeah. And for, you know, drugs and alcohol and among the native people, hopelessness. When you have no hope, then what does it matter what you do? Yeah. And if there's something in here that's driving you to do this perverted uh, activity, you know, sexual immorality or drugs and alcohol or gambling or whatever it might be, you know, devotion to, uh, you know, an irrational devotion to a career or, you know, uh, a, a situation, a sport or something, you know, something you're involved in. Um, there's something, there's a need there. And once you can, if, if people can see that you don't have that, you're a person just like they are, but you're different. And then if you have a chance to share your testimony, yeah, I was just like you once. And I, I cried out to God for help. Yes. And he helped me. Yeah. And, and when you start to approach mission work that way, you contextualize their circumstance and come into their circumstance, not try to make them like you. <laughs> That's right. But, but identify with where they are and what their real foundational need is. And point is. him to Jesus, right? Point him to Jesus, but to solve them because he knows your issue. He yes. knows what's put you in this circumstance. Right. He knows what's got you here. He wants to deliver you. Wants to deliver you. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life abundantly. They know steal, kill, and destroy. They yes. know that. They're yeah. living it every day. Now they need that life abundantly. That abundant life. Clint Green, God bless you, my brother. This has been so wonderful to have you stop by. Our time is slipping away on today's program. But before we say goodbye, I, I want to let our listeners know how they can engage this ministry that uh, you are so uh, wonderfully leading and have been. And you got a new website, too, and we can't get information out yet because it's not totally available. Mm-hmm. Or, or is it available? Or- no. What, what they can do is I'm going to meet this afternoon with the man that's going to do it. So it'll get done pretty quickly. If you want more information, you can contact me. I'll give you my phone number. Okay. It's 901-687-8199. You can call me, send me a text, call me, and then uh, I can put you on my newsletter. We're going to have a new newsletter coming out, and we can add you to that, or I can just give you more information, you know, people more information about that. Oh, I love it, yeah. And again, the ministry, friend, is Native American Indigenous Ministry. Clint Green is our guest. Is G-R-E-E-N-E is how he spells his name. Clint, my brother, God bless you. Thank you so much for what you're allowing Christ to do in and through you to reach the indigenous people around our country and being our guest on Bot Radio Network today. Thank you for having me. It's been a privilege to be here. (laughs) Well, friends, that's all the time we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. It's our pleasure to have Clint Green in the studio. Please pray for this ministry and uh, be looking for this new website and how you can engage and find ways that you can help support the work as Clint reaches again the indigenous people of our country. That's all the time on this program. I'm Byron Tyler, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Mid-South Viewpoint. The show is archived for on-demand listening on our website at botradionetwork.com or via your favorite podcast platform like Spotify and iTunes. Some of our shows have videos as well and can be viewed on YouTube at Byron Tyler Radio. Stay tuned to Bot Radio Network to fill your day with God's Word.